Good. Thank you so much, Ben. Hey, please feel free to grab a seat where you are. We are super excited to have you here on your Sunday night, even though it is an absolute stinker. Uh, we're super excited to have you here, and we hope your weekend has been really exciting too. Hey, we are really excited because we're actually closing up a series tonight. Uh, this idea that we've been unpacking for the last four Sundays together now uh, in a series called Out of Control. And, and this series, if you haven't been around for the last four Sundays, that's all good because uh, I can kind of give you a little bit of an overview of what we've been looking at because we get it. Well, we know that this time of the year as October runs through and now all of a sudden we're in November that January really didn't seem that too long ago. Uh, we know that as you're coming into this time of the year, you're already starting to think about things like Christmas. Some of you are starting to think about uni, exams, assessment that might even need to be uh, get done by tomorrow. You might be thinking about things that need to be done for next year or even this idea of what next year could possibly look like. And we understand that when your life seems so out of control and there's so many things to think about, so many things to do, that can send your brain into an absolute spin. All of a sudden you feel frazzled, all of a sudden you feel stressed, you feel worried, and you can feel so anxious. And that's why we decided to craft this series. If any of those things are things that you can resonate with right now in your life, or at least at some point across this year, then this is a series for you. And to take you back to three Sundays ago, and in part one, we kind of looked at this idea of what it looks like to be out of control in our own emotional world. When our feelings and our thoughts start taking over, how the smallest thing can become the biggest problem so quickly. The overarching theme of this series is that we want to help you take back control of your life. And in part one, uh, we identified that to gain control, you must learn to prioritize what is truly important to you, what the things are that you really value that we have to check in with ourselves. And then leading into part two of our series, uh, Chris, one of our other communicators, ran us through how we can go about actually regaining control in terms of our calendar, Uh, how we can go about getting control of of who you're becoming and how it's actually far more important than getting in control of what you are doing in your everyday. And then part three, we looked at something that causes a lot of us at at any age, a lot of worry, a lot of worry, sorry, our finances. That more money doesn't always equal more happiness. And we looked at this tension that if you don't control your money, your money will eventually control you. So that's been a little, uh, that's kind of a recap of our last three Sundays together. We're in part four now, but you would know that in the midst of those three things, that in terms of your finances, in terms of regaining control of your calendar, in terms of regaining control of your own thought processing, of your own emotions, that all those three things revolve around one thing. Because you know when those three things are out of control in your life, it's not just you that suffers. It's not not just you that that bears the consequences. Uh, It's your friends, it's your colleagues, it's your family, it's your wife, it's your husband, it's the people in your inner circle. The things that fall are our relationships. Because if anything is going to spin your world out of control, it's losing control of our connection with the people that we care about most. And obviously there's a lot of things that we don't look for when it comes to relationships or when it comes to friendships or romantic relationships in that way. Uh, We don't always look for uh, the people that we might see as weird, uh, the people that pour their milk into their cereal first, that's just odd, the people that eat pineapple on pizza, the people that think water is wet, uh, the people uh, that don't break Kit Kats, they just bite into them because they're absolute animals, Uh, the people that eat a pie with a knife and fork, Uh, the people uh, who have cats. And if it's not cats that freaks you out and stops you from being friends with someone, then it's definitely got to be this, if you've ever seen it in your household before. And we all have our sins, I get it, but I have no friends that do that to me. Um, 
But I understand that you might look for different things in your relationships. The thing is uh, that if we end up in a place of being out of control in our relationships or lose control of what we are really looking for in our relationships, we can find ourselves in a spot of feeling anxious. We can find ourselves in a spot of withdrawing from others and experiencing this sense of loneliness. All of a sudden we start acting as the pretend version of ourselves and not the intended version of ourselves. And we run the risk of getting caught up in this worried world. So tonight, the question I want to unpack together is what's at the heart of gaining control in our relationships? And know this, I'm not just talking about the heart of romantic relationships. Yes, Shakespeare said it uh, something about, what is it? said, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Celine Dion says something about it going on. Black Eyed Peas said, don't funk it with it but um when it comes to the heart and, and everything else i've absolutely butchered that one i spent so long this afternoon on it too but when it comes to the heart when it comes to the heart of our relationships we need some type of wisdom we need some type of insight as to how we actually go about approaching it or else we'll find ourselves in a spot of not knowing where we belong in this world that seems so connected so i want to walk uh, with you uh, tonight, uh, through the writings of this guy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon, listen, Solomon was a pretty wise guy across the course of history, across the timeline of history. Uh, Solomon was probably one of the wisest people on earth. You see, Solomon was actually a king. He was the king of Israel, and, and he popped into history around a thousand years before the time of Jesus, and he was the king of God's chosen people. And God had gifted Solomon this gift of wisdom. And maybe for you, if you don't buy into the whole Christianity thing to start off with and you're not really going to buy into what I'm going to say, then that's fine. Uh, but I would be surprised if you don't resonate with some of the truth that Solomon actually talks about when it comes to looking at the heart of every relationship and every person you are connected with in life. Because Solomon says this, that when it comes to relationships, when it comes to the people that we are connected with the most, that every relationship will look like this in some capacity, that it influences each other in some way. Solomon says that walk with the wise and become wise. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Solomon says straight up, if you want to walk with wise people, if you want to become a wise person, be around wise people. Because if you don't, as a result of being a fool, you will suffer harm. And I know for some of you tonight, you might be saying, you know what, Ollie, I'm actually pretty comfy with my friendship circle. I think I'm walking with the wise, not really with this companion of fools thing. I've made right choices in my life. And if that's you, I get you. I thought I made that choice back in kindy like ages ago. Uh, for me, kindy first day, you know, when you walk in, straight off the bat, I knew I wasn't going to make friends with Naughty Emily because she was stealing my Pokemon hat. No, I decided to make friends with people that knew their ABCs, that were smart, that didn't need to bring a spare change of clothes in case they peed their pants throughout the day. I made friends with people that let me eat my ice buns in their office at morning tea because the majority of my friends were teachers. But in kindy for me, I know the people that I wanted to be friends with. And if you're a parent here tonight, if you've ever sent your kid off to school for their first day, I know for a fact you don't want them hanging around the nose pickers. Uh, you don't want them hanging around the kids with nits because at the end of the day, those are the kids that are going to rub off on your child the most. And as parents... When we look at what Solomon has to say, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm as parents, we know that we don't want our children walking around with other children that are going to be a bad influence on them, that are going to rub off on them in a bad way because these are the people that we value most. And it's the same 
Ross, even as young adults, this is why your parents burst into your room at 6 a.m. in the morning or 6 p.m. at night and ask where you're going, who you'll be with, who's driving you where. This is why we get skeptical when our friends get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend. This is why you care about who your friends hang out with, who your partner hangs out with. It's pretty clear what Solomon is saying. Who you walk with is who you become. And in order to gain control, in order to gain control of our relational world, we need to be aware of who we're spending time with and what is rubbing off on us. You see, Solomon kind of goes on in his writings of wisdom. He goes on and he gives us some red flags to look out for in harmful relationships. In fact, the red flags that he looks at, he actually says that these are seven things, seven traits that are detestable even to God. But even if you are not a follower of Jesus, I bet these are the things that are detestable to you in any relationship. And this, uh, these are the seven things that Solomon notes down. And just to give you a heads up, it's going to sound a little bit weird as we walk through it in the first time, but hang in there, we're going to unpack it together. Solomon says this, seven things that are detestable to him, to God, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pulls out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in community. And you're probably looking at that straight away and going like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is Solomon on about here? Like, this just sounds like crazy. Like, haughty? Is that even a word? Like, Solomon must love his Shakespeare because this is just bizarre. But uh, if you've ever done English in grade 10, if you love your Macbeth and all the rest, you would know that Solomon here is using a lot of metaphors. In fact, Solomon in his writings loved his poetic techniques, loved his literary devices. He was a big fan of English and he loves a little bit of flair, a little bit of pizzazz in his writing. So this is how he's gone about it. So what we'll do together, seeing that it is about as complicated as anything, is actually unpack these words and find out the meaning behind what Solomon is actually saying. Because what Solomon is talking about, what Solomon is talking about actually gives us a standard as to how we can go about measuring our relationships and more so how we can go about filtering our relationships by such a standard. So let's start off with haughty eyes. Now, Haughty eyes. This is not something, fellas, that you go about telling a girl to impress them uh, because haughty in itself really means to be arrogantly superior. You're someone with haughty eyes. You're looking up and gazing down from a platform where you don't intend to put anyone up, to pull anyone up with you to grow, but more so push people down. Now, people with haughty eyes look down on others. We can call it arrogance, but people who look down on others don't look to pull anyone up. It, it leads a person into their own glittering world where they're the hero, they're the protagonist. And this arrogance, it it points back to a constant need for self-love. And when self-love dominates our thoughts, and we see self-love dominate somebody's thoughts, they don't have friends, they look for admirers. You see someone with haughty eyes, uh, they thrive on dominance, on being in control. The teenagers and the classic stereotypical young people are great at this because we tell ourselves we know more than our parents, uh, that we get it more than they do, and they simply don't. And we don't just see this at homes, we see this at job places, at schools, at unis too. And arrogance thrives on manipulation in relationships. And it dwells in such a shallow zone where relationships hold no relevance, and meaningful relationships can never move on hand in hand. Solomon writes on, he talks about a lying tongue. Lying tongue, and, and this one you'll be able to pick up if you know your Shakespeare a little bit, because what Solomon's touching on is this idea of dishonesty. That no one feels safe, and no one uh, can trust a dishonest person. And when dishonesty 
occurs, deception lurks. And in this place, when we have a lying tongue, we see people with a lying tongue, they can so easily deceive themselves and tell themselves that they are going okay. They don't share things, and self-deception can become something that absorbs them so quickly. At the same time, if we can't have authentic relationship with people with a lying tongue, why? Because dishonesty overrides any foundation for trust. That's why it's not surprising that dishonesty is the killer of marriages, because without honesty, your relationships will continue to be held at a marked distance, at a marked gap. Solomon continues to write on, he says, hands that shed innocent blood. Now this one's fairly straightforward. No one really goes looking for a best mate who's an axe murderer. But to unpack it a little bit more, Solomon's describing those who use their power, their words, their actions to exploit people and manipulate others. They're so quick to make other people the butt of the joke. Uh, quick to pull others down regardless of how much work they're putting in at the office, regardless of their current circumstances. Hands that shed blood are harsh and merciless in considering in not considering the circumstances of others in light of their past, in light of their current situation, in light of their future dreams. A heart that devises wicked schemes. These are the people who, like us, at some point in our life, get hurt by others. But when they get hurt, they can't move past it. They can't move past it, so instead they plot, they plan, and they devise ways that they can hurt the other person back. They make decisions, and when people come to them saying that they had some part to play in it, they don't look out to apologize. We don't hear apologies. There's no space for forgiveness. The person that they hurt, they, they don't feel that sense of guilt because they don't see it as their fault. And if we're surrounded by people who we feel we can't forgive, we won't move quickly from anger, from being content, or trying to seek out revenge. And with two more left, with two more left, Solomon talks of a false witness who pulls out lies. This idea of spreading gossip. And I get it. I get it because everyone does it. Uh, and hearing the gossip is fun, and it's fun because no one's ever talking about themselves when they're gossiping about other people. You're safe when you are gossiping. When somebody is talking about a situation with someone who's neither part of the problem or part of the solution, then they are participating in gossip in some form. And, and if you're dissatisfied with life, Talking about how bad somebody else's life is is a great short-term fix to fill that void. There is something sickeningly attractive about gossip. But if you were to think, if, if you were to think that someone was ever gossiping about you, your friend, your family, your spouse, or your child, you would feel sick. Simon talks about a fault with a false witness who pours out lies that even when you participate, listen in on gossip, you promote it. And the hard reality and truth could be that if someone gossips to you, they will most likely gossip about you too. See, gossip, gossip leads to more than uncomfortable relationships. It cultivates constant suspicion, uncertainty, and breaks any foundation of trust. And then the last one, a person who stirs conflict, our seventh. This divisive person, divisive people who intentionally, actively, and repeatedly rub raw the resentments of people within a community. An advisive person, they don't have your best interest in mind. They have their own best interest in mind. These people are relational arsonists. They stir conflict. They are big fans of hostility and searching out controversy and issues. They seek out dissatisfaction and discontent. And they bring it all to the table to watch it burn. So how are you meant to have the best interests of others in mind if you have people around you who don't have your best interest in mind? And though all of this, 
Although the seven things that Solomon talks about isn't an exhaustive list, none of this, I bet, would be surprising to you. This is all pretty straightforward. Surely, in some way, you'd have to agree with at least some of those things, or all seven, regardless of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You know that no one goes looking for any of that in a person, because all these traits, all these traits are a perfect recipe for very ugly friendships, relationships, and a very ugly marriage. And it's bound to spiral out of control in some way. This is not earth-shattering stuff to you, and I get it. But if these are seven things to look out for, if these are the red flags, the things we don't want rubbing off on us, then what are the things? And maybe for you, you have some things in mind, or the type of people that, that you would like in your life, or the people that you would like rubbing off on you in some way. But if we're going to regain control in our relational world, we need to ask this question of what do we look for in our relationships? So to help us with that tonight, and to take kind of a, a different turn to what Solomon was talking about, I want to flip the page and actually look at another guy, a guy who was super unqualified, to ever go about spreading this message of hope in the world. His name was Paul. And and Paul, if you heard about him, he was around uh, after the death of Jesus. And Paul, at one stage in his life, I say he's unqualified because he was a Christian killer. In everything that he did, he opposed this whole idea of Christianity and this whole God movement that was going on. But it wasn't until Paul encountered Jesus for himself that he stepped into a relationship with him. And Paul gives us this insight. This insight to actually... Uh, read and, and look at this standard as to how we can go about measuring our relationships and how we can make sure we are walking as wise and not as fools. You see, as Solomon tells us, fools hang with fools. Foolish is what you'll become. The self-love, the shame, the insecurity, the resentment, the bitterness, the suspicion, the uncertainty, the guilt, it will all absorb you. But Paul actually looks at it from a different angle. Paul characterizes what followers of Jesus should look like what we actually should be doing in our relationships and the type of people that we should be. And he does it through looking at this idea of the fruits of the Spirit. This is what Paul writes. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we look at these things. And before we kind of look into them a little bit more, I know what you might be thinking in terms of fruit of the Spirit. That just sounds a little bit weird. It's a bit of a weird phrase. But you're here tonight for the very first time and you have absolutely no idea what it means. Let me explain what Paul is talking about. Because you only need to look at a tree to know what type of fruit that it produces. And the same is true when you think about people. You're able to tell about what lies within their hearts by the way that they actually treat the people around them. By how generous they are. By how they show love. By how they show patience by what issues they're focused on. Paul says you should be the same for followers of Jesus, that if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, then your life should be characterized by these things. And this is what Paul tells early followers of Jesus. He identifies the traits of someone who has your best interest in mind. The traits of someone who is for you. And having one person in your life who is for you can very quickly change the trajectory of your life. It can give you a sense of control. And you know that when you're in control, when you're in control of your relational world, that you are not only a better person for yourself, but a better person at work, a better person at home, and a better person for people that you love most. An undervaluated, an underevaluated and an underdeveloped relational world can very quickly wreak havoc on your life. 
Your relationships are in disarray. A simplified living will be a distant dream rather than a present reality. So what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks together is this idea of how we can be disciplined because what's the point in just talking around things if there's no action, if there's no application? So tonight I thought we'd get into the dirt of it as we kind of start to wrap up this series together. We do this thing here at Beyond called Four Monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you, it's not going to impact you for Monday. So this week's Four Monday is to simply answer these two questions. To answer these two questions. Who am I connected to and what is rubbing off on me? Who are the people throughout your week? Who are the people that you spend the most amount of your time with? Who are the people that you value? Who are the people that you're around the most? And in light of that, whether these people are bad influences, good influences, whether they're healthy or unhealthy relationships for you, what is rubbing off on you? And to answer this question, to answer this question, you can check in. Is, is this a person that shows love? Is this a person that is patient, that has self-control? What is the fruit that they're producing and how is that actually going to impact me? Because to walk with the wise means to know who are the fools around you. And as odd and as strange as it sounds, taking an assessment of your friendship circle is vital to simplifying your relational world. But whilst all these things tonight, whilst everything we talked about uh, will help you in some way, I haven't really given you anything that will really help you get control of your life. In fact, everything we've kind of talked about tonight is really more of a self-help seminar than everything else. It's kind of like a tech talk, but a, uh, with a little bit of like a biblical twist in there uh, for some of you. But for us, there is a des- destination that this will take us. Answering these two questions will only take us so far. Even if we do answer it, you and I will keep looking for something or someone to rub off on us in some way. But the self-love, the shame, the dishonesty, it, it all points back to some void within us. Unless we address it, we'll continue to get ourselves caught up in this cycle. A cycle where some of us will never actually feel a sense of rest or are constantly restless because we always feel like we need to prove ourselves to others in some way. The cycle of uh, feeling like we have to be proud and, and being busy, that we have to bear more on our shoulders, be doing more work, look more frantic, so people can feel sorry for us in some way. Because if people see that our lives are under control, we won't seem nearly as impressive when we tell ourselves that I need to stay busy because I can't stay in control, that I can't let up because I can't make a mistake, that I do too much because that's what people like me need to do because that's what I'm supposed to do. We tell ourselves if I keep pushing myself, I'll finally be someone, I'll finally arrive at their destination, I'll finally make my mark in some ways. And at the same time, we get ourselves caught up in this cycle of our own pride where we tell ourselves that I can handle this. That all these things happening in my life, I got this. I can get back in control if I simply trust myself. This cycle, it just continues to fuel us. But it only ever leaves us feeling shortchanged every time, every day. And you know this. You know you can't be the best person for yourself and for others. And you're so absorbed in your own perfectionism. And when your pride is eating away at you, the consequences of that, like we said, aren't just on you. The overworking, the overspending, uh, the I got this, I can fix my own problems, the I can handle it approach. It doesn't make you the hero in your friendships or in your family. It can so quickly make you the villain without you even knowing. And we can say that you can't control what happens to you today, but you can control how you frame it. And you see, whilst Solomon in his wisdom could identify what would prohibit our growth, 
Paul could identify for us what motivates grace, what gives us rest, because Paul had the benefit. Paul had the missing piece. Paul had Jesus. And Paul gives us a glimpse of this missing piece that came with the arrival in Jesus uh, and to what he wrote to some of the early Christians that were being persecuted by Rome. And during this time, these early Christians, they were experiencing a life that was very much out of control. And these are Paul's words to the followers of Jesus. He says, Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because Christ has made us friends of God. That this is the Son of God who, who entered into history to have himself rub off on you at a time when we didn't want anything to do with him. But there was a time in history where our relationship with God was severed. There was a gap. So God came down as man and stepped into history to rewrite the story, to rewrite your story. And when you know who is rubbing off on you, you gain control of your relationships. You could be one relationship away from your life changing forever. The base of it all is this, that when it comes to our relationships, to be loved and known is what we need more than anything to strengthen us from an out-of-control life. God came down and wrote himself into your story and came with an invitation. An invitation to where you could live a life where you don't have to live with the pressure of trusting yourself to fix yourself. A life where you don't have to trust yourself uh, where you don't have to feel broken by shame, by guilt. You don't have to be caught up in your past mistakes. An invitation to a life where you don't have to see yourself as the very thing that you struggle against the most. You don't have to identify with your weaknesses, your insecurities. You don't have to be identified by your anxieties or your fears. This is an invitation to, to live a life where you're not trapped in the fears of not being unique, of, of feeling helpless, of feeling worthless, of feeling like you're constantly being manipulated, of not being good enough, of not doing things Right, this feeling of being unloved or unwanted or feeling worthless. This is an invitation to an authentic relationship. It's an authentic relationship means telling the truth about how we feel. And that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants for you. That relationship with your Heavenly Father does not point back to all the good things that you have done. Not even your strengths. Not all the wrongs. Not all the mistakes. Not all the biggest regrets that you replay in your mind every day. This is an invitation to a brand new starting point. An invitation to a relationship where you are loved and known because to be loved and known is what we need more than anything to strengthen us from an out-of-control life. And it's so easy in our world with everything going on. A world where we constantly feel like we need to be busy because that's what the person next to us is doing. A world where we feel like we constantly have to be known because if we're not known, we're going to slip away and no one's going to remember us for anything. In the world where we have to make sure that in some way we've had some type of success, it is so easy for us to grab at this idea of control. But the best way for us to gain control in our life is to actually surrender our control over to our Heavenly Father because we have the creator of the universe on our side. This is a God who wrote his way into history with you in mind. This is a Heavenly Father who is for you. Following Jesus will not only make your life better, it will make you better at life. I'd love to pray for us tonight. And during this time, we're going to invite the band back up and play a little bit of chants. But let's pray together. God, we just thank you. We just thank you, Father, in times when we can feel so scattered, Lord, when we feel so frazzled. God, in the times when when, 
uh, the smallest things can just build up into the biggest problems. And when we get caught in this cycle of just feeling worried or feeling stressed, or feeling anxious, where we can end up in a place of just feeling so dark, God, that we know that you are there and that you are present. That, Lord, you don't leave us and you don't run away from us. God, we know in the times when even these big things happen in our life, when we have so many questions, God, about where we're going, what we should do, who we're becoming, and what the next step is, God, that it's so easy for us to grab onto this idea of control. But God, we just thank you that you wrote yourself into history. God, that you wrote yourself into history to rewrite our own story. To know that we are loved and that we are known. And God, that we can find complete rest and complete peace and freedom in relationship with you. Lord, we lift up all the burdens and the anxieties and the advice. And we give them to you, God. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.